The Jeremy White Show. Our next guest is a brand new book out called Tone Chaser, Understanding Edward, My 26-Year Journey with Edward Van Halen. You can get your copy now wherever you get your books, ToneChaser.com as well. We're speaking to author Steve Rosen. Welcome to the show. How's it going, man? Hey, Jeremy. I'm doing great, buddy. How are you? I'm great. So just to start off, you've been a rock music journalist pretty much you know, for several decades at this point. Did you think that you would ever get to the point where you'd be writing a book about Eddie Van Halen? Honestly, uh, no way. I <clears throat> I never got to the point where I thought I'd be writing a book about anybody. I'd written uh, <laughs> some books previously. Um, um, <clears throat> excuse me. Writing books, I always looked on as the uh, the purview of, of, of some other author. Um, but <clears throat> excuse me, guys. I'm so sorry. Um, but yeah, the point in time, you know, you know, you're 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 you're, you're doing interviews with a band, and, and you think, God, I I really like to write more about them, you know, and um, just just going back a bit, you know. So I, I wrote a, a biography on Jeff Beck. It was the first biography out on Jeff. They came out in Japan, and I loved Free and and Bad Company, you know. So I wrote a book on them. I wrote a book on Ozzy. But in answer to your question, no man, never in a million years. Um, I mean, th- those who have read the book. Or, or, or will read the book, they will know that back around 85, I was going to write, forgive me, I was going to write um, a book about Edward. That book never came to be. Um, and that seed just sort of remained germinating for, for many, many years, as it turned out, uh, about 17 years, uh, you know, kind of after I stopped seeing Edward. At that point, I, I thought, you know what? I, I think I've got some things to say. I've got some stuff on tape. I think people would, would, would really kind of dig, you know, reading about that stuff. So let's, let's, let's dive into a book. But no, there was never preconceptions about, you know, at, at a point in time, I'd be writing a book about Eddie Van Halen. Before we talk about your interaction with Edward, I just want to know, go back in time and paint me a picture. I mean, when were you starting out as a journalist and what made you even want to get into the, you know, covering bands kind of thing. I mean, you turn it into a career and it turns into a lifestyle. I mean, when did you decide, you know, I need to cover these bands and write about these bands? You know, Jeremy, I, I, I wish it was all that uh, thoughtfully planned out. Um, <laughs> look, from the very beginning, um, I was an avid reader, right? So I was reading a lot of books. I was reading a lot of music magazines. This is before I was, uh, I started writing. Um, and really, there was only maybe one or two magazines around at that point. Uh, we're talking, you know, like early, early 70s, maybe even late 60s. Um, Guitar Player, I think, started publishing 68, 69. I think there was Downbeat, you know, the jazz magazine. So I always loved reading. Um, I was playing guitar, albeit I, albeit I was just, you know, uh, you know, playing with, with, with buddies around, around town and, you know, in the garage and maybe playing a, you know, a, a teen dance here or there. So I've always loved that. I was a huge record collector. I listened to a lot of music. Um, uh, so, I mean, I had a huge record collection way before I started writing and albums were being sent to me, you know. So I was out there buying albums by, you know, Tall and Spirit and Zeppelin and, um, you know, I mean, so all of those things, we're coming together, and and I can remember specifically, it was an issue of guitar player that I found in the library. I think it might have been if it had been like a, a high school library, and I remember reading. Uh, it, it was an article about Dickie Betts, 
and I read it and it was one of the staff guys and I just thought to myself, you know, and maybe this is a naivety or, you know, pigheadedness of youth, but I thought I could do that. You know, I, I, I don't think this story is that great. I don't think it's that well written. You know, I can do that. So you go out, you know, and, and, uh, you, you try to, you're reaching out to editors and you're getting turned downs and this and that, you know, I have, I have a little piece printed in a, uh, a little local softcore porn. It's not hardcore at all. You know, it was, it was a kind of a newspaper you buy in a, in a vending machine, mm. uh, mainly for like the massage ads in the back, but they had like a was little that the village voice. What's that? Was that the village voice? No, but exactly like the village voice. But about 10 levels below that. <laughs> the LA star. Yeah, man, for a quarter, you know, you could get it and find the uh, massage ad. And they had a little music section, and this guy, Mark Yandel, who was the editor. So um, I didn't have access to, to any bands to do interviews, so I thought, let me do some live reviews. I went and saw T Rex at the Palladium and West Brisbane Lane, sent the reviews in to make a long story short, those got printed. You sort of use that as a stepping stone. So I used that, and then I reached out to the free press. Uh, you know, another kind of underground, you know, and then, you know, Cream and Circus and ultimately Guitar Player and Guitar World and Rolling Stone. Um, I loved writing. I loved music. I loved guitar players. Um, so, you know, maybe in the back of my head, yeah, I, I, I did see a, a, a life of journalism. But to be honest, my first and truest love was playing guitar and being a songwriter. You know, I, I wanted to be a I wanted to be in a, in a rock and roll band. You know, I wanted guys writing about me. But Of course. You know, that was a tough one to figure out how to make money at. So, uh, <laughs> That's usually how it goes, though, right? For guys like us, it's like, you know, yeah, I'm a, I'm a great bedroom guitar player, but yeah, exactly. I think I belong behind the camera and the mic interviewing the guys that do it, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I'm, I'm great until I'm sitting in a room with, uh, yeah, you know, uh, Chris Broderick or, you know, uh, you know, Marty Friedman or, you know, obviously Edward Van Halen or, yeah. you, you know, Gary Rishrath, you know, Neil Schoen, all these unbelievable guitar players. And you think, oh, okay, maybe I'll just write about these guys, you know. So as a musician, I mean, coming up in that time from the 70s and 80s, I mean, we've seen such an evolution of the guitar through those decades, specifically when you talk about tone and people chasing that tone. I mean, Edward Van Halen described himself as the tone chaser later on at some point. I think you were like the yeah. first guy that kind of like, you know, talked about that or used that word at the time. Yeah. And it's it's funny, like, you know, you mentioned Neil Sean and you mentioned all these guys. I mean, there was a couple of guys that had real identifiable guitar tone. Neil Sean, I talked to him about that and he told me about his whole rig and how he was working on that tone. Tom Schultz, another guy. Edward Van Halen, I mean, that tone was just the the one that everybody was constantly chasing and still to this day are trying to get. In your conversations with him, did, did he understand just how impactful his guitar playing was? Um, I, I've tried to answer that question for 600 pages. Um, I think deep inside he... He knew he was a very good guitar player. He knew that he was pursuing something new. But beyond that, no, I don't think he had any sense of, of the, the impact or the influence or, or what it was he created. Um, and, and, and again, what made him so beyond remarkable is the fact that he was building those guitars and playing those guitars. And it was from those guitars and obviously his amps and all of that that he was, you know, extracting these tones. So 
to hear in his head this tone, this you know brown sound, and and then you know to build a guitar and identify that tone. To to me, that's just that, that's on another level. I mean, you know, these other guitar players, uh, amazing guitar players, Ricky Blackmore, his tone is incredible. Absolutely. Um, you know, Richie wasn't right. Richie wasn't building his own guitars. I mean, look, Richie created a scratch sound that was all his own. Jimi Hendrix, my God, Paul Costa. But these were tones that were coming from Les Pauls and Strats. Yeah, you could um, buy those off the rack in the store. But Edward, I mean, exactly. he was rewinding his own pickups and potting them in the wax, and you know, like taking everything. It, exactly, and I write in the book to my mind, and and if anybody can fill in these holes, please feel free to do so. In my mind, I could only think of two other guitarists who had ever built their own guitars and played them. And that was Les Paul and Brian May. You know, I'm not talking about Slash signature guitars that, you know, Slash had a Les Paul and he, you know, maybe reconfigured some pickups and Gibson put that out. And that's cool enough. But a guy who built a guitar from scratch and got bodies and, like you said, potted pickups and, you know, put in fret wires. That's a whole different thing. So no, I don't think Edward ever had this sense of of, of legacy. Um, yeah, that, that 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 he created. No, I don't. And I also love the fact that over the years, I mean, in pretty much every interview that Edward would do, he'd kind of lie about what he was using, right? I mean, it, that was his tone. That was his guitar. And, you know, he'd lie about the pickups or he'd lie about the string gauge or he'd lie about this or like the, even the most minuscule like little things. It's like, what's the big deal? Like, why can't you just tell us the truth? Like, why? <laughs> Like he was just so. I think he was like he didn't want anybody else to have his shit. Like that was his shit. Uh, you know, I, I always found that so unbelievable. I mean, one of the first times I'd interviewed him, I asked him about you know how did he set up his uh, vibrato bar without it going to tune. He goes well without it going out of tune. Well, I don't really like to talk about it, you know. And then he goes through this elaborate process that nobody could follow anyway. I mean, even <laughs> if you did it, your guitar was going to go out of tune, right? Yeah. I mean, look. I was not a great guitar player. I was a decent guitar player. I played his guitar through his rigs, and I sounded like Steve Rosen, you know? Um, You know, yeah, he he was protective of some of that stuff. Yeah, I think he thought that, yeah, that people were going to find out about the Variac or what kind of Celestians he used and that or the the string gauges, and all of a sudden he was going to be out of a gig. I I mean, it was remarkable, which really went to his... um, uh, Mystique in a way. Yeah, yeah. No, no ego about that. Like somebody else could do what he did if he played his guitar in his rig. That, that to me was mind blowing. You know, and that, that honestly, that's that's one of the things I loved about him. You know. Yeah, I remember uh, one of my buddies. He plays in a band in Montreal, Jonas and the Massive Attraction. They opened up for the Van Halen tour in two thousand four, and they I think they did like eight shows with them or something like that. And wow. like Corey would always just tell me, he's like, yeah, he's like, you know, Edward would just like poke his head through the dressing room door and be like, hey, uh, I want to come play some guitar. <laughs> and then they'd go up on stage and he'd and Corey would be playing through his rig and he'd be playing all these like country licks and Ed would be like, hey, pl- play that again, play that again. And he'd be playing yeah. it and then he noticed that Ed would like take those licks sometimes and throw them into his solo spot in the middle of the show yeah. sometimes, which is pretty damn cool, you know? Eddie Van Halen Absolutely. playing your licks. Absolutely. Um, so talking about this book, it's basically a culmination of all of your conversations that you had with Edward over the years. Now, you go all the way from the beginning all the way till up about 2003, and you cover a lot. Uh, if I was just to grab this book, and I don't know anything about Edward, I mean, what am I going to take from this? 
Wow, that's a good question. Um, that he loved music above and beyond everything else. Um, he loved his family, but sometimes even the family came second to his music. He honestly never went without a guitar in his hand. For 26 years, I would, whenever I saw him, there was a guitar in his hand. I think he worked tirelessly and effortlessly on what he did. Um, I, I think he had a very, very um, small ego about what he did. Um, I, I, I think that in many ways, Edward, um, as much as he was sort of controlling about the kind of music he made, um, I think he let a lot of that uh, control go to other people um, in terms of business things and management. He, he didn't want to get involved in that. I think ultimately he had to be. Um, and I found some of that a little bit strange. I thought he would have kept a little tighter rein on those kinds of things. Um, at the end of the day, uh, you know, he was obviously a human being. He just had some other XY chromosome in there that, that nobody else had. Um, he really was a rarity. Um, um, but he was frail. Um, he was, and I may use the word insecure in the book. I don't know if there's insecurity. He's unsure of something, mm -hmm. you know, which is why, you know, we just touched on, you know, he didn't want you knowing what kind of screens he used or the variant for fear of, you know, some secret getting out and all of a sudden his, uh, his powers are gone. Um, he was frail. Um, he didn't listen to a lot of outside music, though back in the club days, obviously, he was listening to all that music and doing all those covers. I think as time went on, I don't think he sat there and listened to a guitar player. Um, we know the kinds of guitar players who listen to Holdsworth and, and Blackmore, and there was some Jimmy Page in there. Um, but, yeah, so, I, I mean, those are the things I would hope somebody would come away with. For the first 10 years I knew him, he was an incredibly thoughtful, soulful, and caring personality person. He was really good to me. Mm. He changed. Um, I don't know if that was because of the pressure of, of having that kind of success. Um, he was starting to succumb to some of those illnesses. Um, maybe the band wasn't doing what he wanted to do. The record label was maybe not fulfilling his needs, um, you know, and he changed. Um, but those first years were amazing. You know, he was, he was a good friend. I mean, I could have asked him really for anything and I think he would have been there for me. So that's what I hope people come away with. It, it's supposed to be an up book. Um, it, there, there are dark parts, but, but, but he was always up, um, until he wasn't. But, uh, yeah, so that, that's what I hope people would read when they, when they, when they get the book. Right. Uh, you can pick up the book wherever you get your books, pretty much. Uh, Tonechaser dot Tonechaser book dot com. Uh, if you want to yeah. get direct from from Steve, and uh, I I think you're doing some like read throughs on YouTube and stuff like that, right? I mean, like you must have an audio book, or like are you going through like sections or something like that? I think I saw something like that on YouTube. Um, yeah, yeah. So what I've done is actually a buddy had an idea about doing some read throughs. I thought mm. read throughs. What are you talking about? Because yeah, you know, read a chapter, and then we could you know maybe get a little bit of the audio from that period when that chapter was written, you know, 1980 or 1984, but you had to go, oh, that's an interesting idea. 
So I had a, a buddy, my friend Adam Roach. Adam is a huge Van Halen fan in Australia. Um, and he said, it suggested a chapter, I forget what the first one was. So I thought, okay. I sat down and, and started reading um, sort of the intro, you know, of, of this chapter. And um, as I'm reading, it, it sparked in me other thoughts. So I sort of go off camera, you know, in, 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 in film is called, I think it's called The Fifth Estate, where an actor will kind of turn right to the audience and they'll talk to you. Like, like we know he's not acting, you know. So that's yeah. kind of what it was. So I'm reading a chapter about Edward, uh, you know, on the first tour. So I turn and go, yeah, Ed took off on that tour, you know, man, he was really happy. You know, and I think people kind of really dug that little kind of impromptu bit. So that's sort of become a thing. So in answer to your question, Jim, yeah, I've done some read-throughs. Then I've added, you know, the Van Halen audio from that section. Um, I did a thing with uh, my good friend Derek Fuller, who plays guitar in an amazing uh, Van Halen cover band called Van Halen. And we went through all the songs on the uh, first uh, Van Halen Greatest Hits record, and he'd play the riffs, and then we'd talk about them. Um, I put up various other uh, uh, audio interview bits, you know, mm -hmm. um, have some cool stuff coming up. I, I don't want to give that away. So just, uh, yeah, you know, just kind of, you know, put stuff out there. I think people would, would dig hearing and from the comments and, you, you know, the amount of views and that stuff. I think people, you know, are really, you know, kind of getting off on it. It's like, it's like they're starved for this kind of archival stuff about Edward and stuff, yeah. you know, and, you know, so I'm happy for that. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to have to go back and listen to like when I'm sitting in traffic later this weekend, go through some of your old interviews they did with him and kind of listen to them. And it, it'd be cool to be like a fly on the wall and hear, you know, like that, that kind of stuff. Cause I'm sure it sounds very intimate, almost like a one-on-one -on -one conversation, but you're recording it. And it's like, there's no real expectation to come out of that. I guess it's like what happens happens and it ends up on tape. So I'm sure there's some cool, spontaneous little moments with Edward over, over the years on, on all those recordings. Yeah, man, that's an excellent point. You know, and again, I write about it in the book, you know, I'm talking to Edwin, we're friends, and then I'm sitting down and I have to interview him for a magazine, and trying not to be that friend, but to be this professional interviewer. So yes, there are moments that come up um, that are that were very intimate and personal. And in the book, I, 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 I sort of characterize, the, characterize those, because Edwin would always say, don't print those, don't use that stuff. Mm -hmm. And what people have to understand is, so in 1985, it's Ed's talking about, I, I don't know, a, a band member or a producer or a lick or a riff or, or something. And he says, don't, don't print that. He doesn't want me going out to a magazine and using that because that's in the moment, you know. So if something came out, you know, three weeks after we did an interview, it would be weird. So anyway, all of those moments, yes, get, get, got kept aside until I, I, I wrote the book. Um, all those years later, and, and I felt important to include in the book. But yes, there were moments that came out, which is why for the longest time, I was reluctant to, to let any of that audio go out, you know, having nothing to do with a book, um, because I, I'm thinking, well, unless I go back and listen to the interview, you know, and I hear that section, and maybe I'm going to not include that, you know, I, I thought, well, maybe there's some weird parts, you know, not weird, but but personal intimate parts on there that I really don't want anybody to hear. I want to keep, I don't want people to hear that. So yeah, it was strange putting that out. And it's, it's also strange in a way listening to those interviews because yes, there were intimate moments. They were, you know, professional moments. Um, 
so a lot of memories come up and obviously a lot of memories were dredged up from writing the book and listening to all those interviews a lot of them for the first time since they were done you know some you know many many decades ago right well yeah uh, it's, I, I, it's it must be strange and bizarre to have to have gone back and listen to all this stuff especially now that the man's not even here anymore and trying to pull some of that for the book it, it must have been like uh I was I was gonna say it's a uh, um not not like macabre but it's sort of you know what I mean it's like that weird <laughs> yeah yeah no no I, I like uh, uh no I know the word you're looking for um yeah. um it, it was exactly that and and again or like I don't know yeah yeah no I I get you um um uh and I know the word you're looking for man um uh I began the book obviously unknowing, uh, two months before Edward passed. So, um, you know, I, I, I write in the book, you know, would I have continued with the, would I have written the book, um, had Edward passed before I began it? And and I, I, I would have, to be honest with you. I, I think that the book needed to be written and, and you know, that there were a lot of reasons. But, but yes, you know, going back and hearing those, interviews and as i'm writing the book you know i'm a couple months into it and edward passes you know and, and maybe i was a few chapters into it and i thought wow now it's it's really kind of strange uh yeah all those feelings come up um um yeah like was i trespassing on some sacred ground that i shouldn't be walking on and you know what are people going to think you know Honestly, I was just thinking the other day, I, I, I really wish, for many reasons, of course, I wish Edward was still here. He would have been there when the book was done. And, you know, somehow I could have gotten a book to him. And, you know, and again, I write in the book, Edward didn't read much. I don't know if he ever would have read my book or not. But at least he would have been made aware of it. And, you know, I would have hoped that he would have thought, yeah, you know, Steve and I weren't talking at the end there, but I know the book that he wrote is honest. And, and so, yeah, I, I, I think it's probably going to be a good book. You know, I think about that, you know, I mean, if, if he had been here, if he had been aware of the book and those kinds of things. No, completely. Uh, you were obviously around Ed at the time. I mean, like, you know, 95 balance, that sort of thing before Sam got kicked out of the band and all everything went down. You know, over the years, especially with Van Halen Collection 2 coming out soon, they remastered all of the Sammy years and stuff. Sam's always kind of alluded to the fact that the changing of management was sort of the demise of his time in the band when Ray Daniels came in and just sort of turned everything upside down and turned Edward against him. Do you, do you know anything about that? I mean, like you were around at that time talking with Ed and interviewing him. Like what was your feeling around that time? I mean, like how, you know, how did Ray affect the band to your opinion? Honestly, Jeremy, I, I, I don't know too much about that. Um, you know, I guess on the other side of that, Edward never would have brought it up. So for me to have asked, Hey Ed, what's it like working with, uh, you know, Ray, I mean, I may have asked him that kind of question, you know, that might have been a little too inside even, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and honestly, by 95, the, the, the relationship was a bit weird. So I probably would, if I had been inclined to ask him something like that, I probably might have been reluctant mm -hmm. <laughs> to ask him that. So I, I, I really don't know. 
Well, would he ever um, express displeasure with like you know like some like a certain band member or something in any of the interviews? Be like, oh, you know, like Sammy's really pissing me off right now, or like you know. I'm sorry. Did, did those moments come up? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I tried to look. I could have written. I, I could have written a real easy book. I could have uh, excised all those moments where Ed was saying negative things about band members or these people this and that you know but but again that uh, i would have been wanted to be that you wanted it to be a good uplifting book about the man exactly and i knew people were going to react to it and i just hope that they would understand the um uh the background in, in in which i used all of that stuff so yes i mean edward was not happy with Sammy at the end and again who knows where the truth is i mean it's probably somewhere in between um, Edward was a little um, uh, displeased with Sammy's work ethic. So Sammy was married at the time, or his wife was pregnant at the time, and Ed understood that. But there were things left, you know, unspoken. Um, Ed wanted more of a commitment from Sammy in terms of the band. Um, I had touched earlier on Edward sometimes allowing certain things to go um, uh, unattended. Um, from the beginning, Edward allowed Sammy to pursue his solo career. And practically, I don't know what was going on with Sammy. I guess it was different. If, if I was in a monster band like that and my singer was coming in, there's no way I want him pursuing his solo career. Yeah. I, I, I can't think of any other band where, a, where a, you know, a singer would come in and be allowed to pursue a solo career. I, I just thought that was insane. I thought that Again, I think it was a case of like him still owing Geffen one record. Or something. I think I even played bass on the record or something like that. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I he, he did, and he talks about that. I, look, if, if Sammy wanted to get out of that record, if Van Halen wanted Sammy out of that record, then Sammy would have been out of that record. I mean, yeah. you know. But yeah, so I thought it was a mistake, and ultimately Sammy kept his solo career, and Ed was displeased with that. And then there was a Twister soundtrack, and who knows where the truth lies there. But yeah, so Ed, Ed, Ed was a little unhappy with Sammy. Ed was unhappy with Dave and Mike, and I, and I put all that in there. But I also let it be known that, that Ed said on more than one occasion, he loved those guys. And people say, oh, he, Ed, Ed hated Mike. How could he say those things? I don't think it, was, it wasn't hate at all. It was just absolute frustration or disappointment or wanting Mike to bring more to the band, or Dave not going off on vacation for two weeks when you're supposed to be in the studio recording. And I think at a point in time, Ed was frustrated because like I said, Edward was always working, he was always writing. Um, and I guess he just wanted more of, of equal participation. Um, mm -hmm. I don't think hatred had anything to do with it. There was some mean things said, and we all react that way when, when we feel disrespected. Um, but um, I, I, I don't. I don't think it was hatred at all. I think he loved those guys. I think he would have done anything for them had they maybe, in, in my um, interpretation, stepped up to the plate a little bit more. Right. No, it's true because he'd always talk about that in like past in like previous interviews and stuff. You know, he's like, ah, yeah, nobody has my work ethic. You know, I'm always in the studio, and this person's off doing that, and doing the sports cars, and this and the you know the rock star shit. I'm just yeah. here trying to make music. I'm a musician. That, that's always what I always got from Edward. And like every time he spoke in interviews or, you know, whatnot, it was always, you know, he he was a true blue musician through and through. 
Absolutely. And, and all the trappings and everything else. Um, you, you think about musicians and, well, would they still be doing what they were doing if Ed was still playing the whiskey? Or, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. And there's no doubt in my mind that he would be doing um, what, what he was doing. He, like I said, man, I, it was his first true love. He was, I don't know, man, who do you compare him to? Uh, you can't. Van Gogh, Da Vinci, I mean, John Steinbeck, who I think is the greatest writer who ever lived. Yeah. You think of Steinbeck doing nothing but drinking and and, and writing books. But, I mean, that, that that's all he had. Um, that, that, that's, that's all he was, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, he was, and again, nobody's going to have that work ethic. You know, Ed was, you know, I mean, we'd be hanging out till four in the morning. I'd go home and, and I know that he was out there still working, uh, you know, and maybe sleep a couple hours during the day. So no one was going to have that work ethic, but, but you at least had to make a, a, a mammoth effort to, to, to kind of keep up with him. To, to earn and keep his respect. Um, I believe that. Yeah. No, I agree. And uh, I think people are really going to get that from the book. You get it now, ToneChaserBook.com, Tone Chaser by Steve Rosen. And uh, you got some nice, uh, you got a good review from Doug Aldrich on the back cover, which uh, he's my next interview in like 20 minutes. So that's kind of oh, hilarious. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, fantastic. Well, please say hello. Yeah, um, I absolutely will. Talk about another great guitar player, right? Oh, uh, what what a great guitar player. You know, real quick, and I know you got to run here. Um, I met Doug. I interviewed Doug. I was part of a uh, uh, this project called Rock Gods. And um, it's where we sort of, um, uh, it, it was like a, a, a an altered version of, of a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. We sort of like, we induct, you know, guitar players and musicians who maybe went a little... Um, I'm under the radar. I mean, remarkable musicians, but you know, weren't the Jimmy Pages and yeah. you know, those and I think that's where I first met Doug. It, it could have actually been earlier than that. Anyway, Doug just lived kind of over the hill from me. He lived in the valley. I was in the Hollywood Hills, so just that. And I remember that you know the first time I met him, and he was just such a good guy, such a very nice guy, somebody you could trust. You know, Jeremy, just, yeah. just a good guy. And somehow I, I, I deluded myself into thinking, I'm going to get Doug to write a song with me, you know? So I put it out there, and, you, you know, I, I don't know, maybe I even picked up a guitar at his place, you know, and I ham-fisted something, you know? And Doug said, you know, and Doug went through a few things. My whole point being, you can tell how great a guitar player is when he's sitting there in front of you. That's why Ed was just in another world. And he's not playing, you know, maybe he's playing through his rig, but it's turned down and you're watching him, man, and you're watching the finger vibrato, man, and you're watching the picking and it's, it's not an onstage thing and the volume's not killing you. You're just watching this guy and you think, my God, the difference between Doug Aldrich and why he's played in all these bands and why did David Coverdale, who could have been any guitar player he wanted, why did he pick Doug Aldrich? And you know why. Because he's so... He's just better than ninety percent of the other guitar players out there. Really good guitar players, but but that ten percent man is just everything. So anyway, please yeah. say hello. And yes, Doug was amazing. One of the incredible guitar players who, uh, you know, gave me some love. And you know, Joe Satriani who bought a book. I, there was an uh, 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 an order on Amazon, and it, it was Joseph Satriani, and I thought. Well, it's got to be the same guy, but why is he buying the book? I happily give him a book. So I write, Joe, is this you? He goes, yeah, it's me. I go, Joe, my God, I'm, I'm blown away, dude. Let me send you a book. He goes, no, I'm going to pay for the book. 
I mean, that that's kind of guy that Joe is, and I'm sure that Deb would yeah. be the same way. You know, Joe did a little uh, video for me. Anyway, yes, those guys on the back and, and other guys' pictures I put up with the book, you know, those are amazingly uh, supportive guys. And, and yeah, I, I mean, hey, you, you got the guys in the industry backing you on the book. I mean, what more do you want? That's exactly right, you know, and, and you know, people see that and, and, and they have to respect that. And a lot of these guys, most of them, you know, I've interviewed. So, look, they owe me yeah, You nothing. want a stranger to them, you know. Exactly, exactly. You know, they owe me nothing, but it's like maybe in the back of their minds, it's like, hey, yeah, Steve, you know, wrote that story for, you know, about me, you know, and, and I, you know, I, I want to do this. You, you know what I mean? Not that they consciously think about that, but. I'd like to think of it that way. So yeah, there there is that connection, which to me is, uh, you know, that 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 means a lot. No, I mean, it, come on, man. You you got Joe Satriani, you got all these, got Doug Aldridge. These are not only are they fans of Ed, and for sure they got an absolute thrill reading the book. But I mean, you know, like you said, maybe they're you know paying back a little bit. Yeah, exactly, exactly, and um, yeah, you, you know that that that's it. That that's as well. I think I've only had actually like one or two guys who weren't Van Halen fans, and I don't even remember what it was. I mean, these are pretty big guitar players, and I was uh, like, actually, I wasn't shocked. Believe it or not, there's a couple of them uh, that aren't Eddie Van Halen fans. <laughs> yeah, actually, I'll name one, and, and just in, in, the very, in a very positive way, John McLaughlin, um, you know, Mahavishnu was, wasn't an Eddie, and I get that. I mean, John doesn't come from that school, yeah. but I just thought that maybe, you know, he would have been interested, and he goes, no, thank you. Uh, I certainly know about Eddie, but no, thank you. I just thought that was funny. I mean, McLaughlin yeah. obviously created, you know, I mean, if Mahavishnu wasn't responsible for that fusion thing, I don't know what band was, but, you know, mm-hmm. I just I just thought that was pretty funny because when, when a guitar player would say, you know, it's like, really? You're not a Van Halen? But, you know, <laughs> it's it's uh, it's kind of cute in its, in its way, you know. Yeah. Well, look, uh, ToneChaserBook.com, Tone Chaser by Steve Rose and Understanding Edward, my 26-year journey with Edward Van, with Edward Van Halen. The uh, book is getting rave reviews. Everybody in the fandom, all the Facebook groups, I always see people talking about it and stuff, and I, I just don't get a chance to read a lot because my, my, my schedule is just everywhere. Nice and I'm like on a plane or something, I'll pull up the PDF and just like, you know, browse through it. And But now you got these read-through videos on YouTube, so I can listen to it in the car and, you yeah. know. Yeah, you can get a little bit of that. You know, it's funny, man, you're not the only one uh, too busy to read. I mean, um, I did an Eddie Trunk show. I sent him a book. He was, I can't, I can't take the book on the plane. It's too heavy. Send me the PDF. I'll read it there. You know, there was several guys. So yeah, so I, you know, yeah, I, I, I've been doing that. And again, I've been thinking about an audio book. I just have to have to get there and, you know, one and, last uh, question yeah, before we go, um, just from music journalist to music journalist, I mean, for uh, anybody that's listening to this and wants to get into music journalism or rock journalism in general, I mean, what do you think makes a good interview with an artist? Wow, that's a good question, man. Um, you have to really know about the person you're you're writing about. And I, when I mean, I mean, you have to go listen to every album, you know, I mean, if if it's Aerosmith, yeah, man, you got to sit through 18 records because if you hit on that one thing on, uh, you know, the Rocks album, Joe goes, oh, my God, I didn't, you know, your whole interview will open up. So you really got to know. Um, uh, don't ask them the same questions that you've read online. Come up with a completely different set of questions. Look, some of them are going to overlap. Um, find your own voice. What is that that you bring to this interview as a, you know, as a, as a music journalist? 
then maybe somebody else doesn't. If you're a guitar player, okay, what about that guitar playing aspect? Um, uh, if you've read every single music biography, okay. Um, if you're, you know, if you, uh, uh, you know, work in a bank, talk about, you know what I mean? You just got to find that little entry. Um, don't, don't dote on them, you know, as, as hard as that is, you know, um, you can say how much you, you did what they do, but don't, oh my God, Joe, I, I you know, they hear that all, all day. They don't need you to hear that. Yeah. Be honest. Um, write, write for the, um, audience, you know, if it's a metal site, you know, don't be talking about country licks, you know, um, um, how deep d d does their knowledge go? Do they know the, you know, the darkest death metal band in Sweden? I mean, you know what I mean? So, you know, know your audience. Um, uh, yeah. And, and, and be able to sense when the interview goes from, you're just interviewing to like, okay, this guy's into it. And there's a moment and you'll be able to feel that. And when you hit that threshold, you're home free. Cause at that point you're just talking with the guitar player about his craft. And uh, that's when all the good stuff comes. It's just smooth sailing after that. Exactly. I love that. I love that. Well, ToneChaserBook.com, pick up Steve Rosen's book. And of course, uh, you got all your other publications and stuff and your, your books up there and everything too. So I uh, connect with can I give him a plug here? Hey, look at that. There it there is. Look at that beautiful hard cover. Come on. Come on. I could have gone soft cover. Could have gone half the length. You know, uh, Neil Slozauer took the front and back photos. And y'all know Neil taking all those amazing Van Halen photos. I'm going to let you go. I want to thank you so much, Jeremy, um, for having me on, man. Um, uh, I, I love what you do. And all the fans out there, all the Jeremy White fans, thank you for checking this out and um, hopefully uh, checking out my book. Well, appreciate you taking the time and uh, you'll have to come back on for the next book and or we'll just chat about, you know, rock journalism in general next time. Anytime, man. I can uh, I can tell you some stories uh, about uh, about some rock and roll guys. I think oh, they could we love fun. stories. We love all the tales on this show. <laughs> nice. nice. All right, Steve, I'll let you go. Thanks, man. You take care, Jeremy. All right. See you later. Bye. Bye, buddy. An all-new episode of The Jeremy White Show. Available wherever you stream. Catch up on past interviews and episodes on demand now. Subscribe so you don't miss any of it.